0: I was like, I'm just gonna be super transparent and see where this thing goes. Like if it fails, you're gonna watch it fail. If it works, you're gonna watch it work. And when it started, you know, I had $34,000. And so nobody in the world thought anything about me like posting my net worth or, you know, anything like that. Welcome to the Fi Show. Where you get a behind the scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the FI Show. Before we get into today's topic, let me check in with my co host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey,
0: Cody, had a lot going on this last week, a lot of time on the road, too. So I went back home to Mississippi, which is about 11 hours to the part where I live in Mississippi from, or where I grew up in Mississippi from where I'm at now in Austin. Went back to see, you know, see all the family, hang out with folks. But while I was there, I also kind of took my first entrepreneurial flight while I was home. So I took the pizza business kind of live. I did a two-night event at uh, this place called an Elks Lodge my dad's a member of. And the way it was set up, I was selling three different specialty pizzas. And I was giving 15% of the proceeds back to the lodge. Did a Wednesday night and a Friday night. Went into it thinking like, hey, I'm not going to really advertise for Wednesday. Maybe I'll do 10. I feel like I could be, I feel like, you know, I could probably handle 10. And then Friday, maybe I'd do 15. Like if I really got it figured out. Well, the word got out and people started signing up for Wednesday before I even got there. And where I'd thought like, okay, I'll make some extra dough in case I do something wrong. Shooting for 10, but I'll make some extras. And anyways, uh, sold out both nights. I I've I made 20 dough balls for Wednesday, 22 for Friday, and I had to turn away a lot of people for Friday, actually. So sold 42 pizzas in total, 13 bucks a pop. After including the the food waste that I had where I made too many toppings um, and giving the 15% back to the lodge, worked out to 57% profit margins. And uh, they're actually asking hey, how do we get you back down here? What if What if you don't have to give us the 15% and you charge $15 a pizza, which would push it up to 72% profit margin. So doing all that out of my little uni oven and did it all by myself. So uh, it was a pretty fun you know, foray into seeing what it would be like to actually have something like a food truck.
1: And so I've never wood fired a pizza in my life. I would not trust myself at all. And Brent said the hardest thing was making sure that you put it in for the right amount of time. He's like, 10 seconds too long, it's too burnt. You know, 10 seconds too early, it's just straight dough. Obviously, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But how did you do, Justin? How would you rate yourself? Do you ruin any? I said did pretty solid. I maybe had like one that got a little
0: overcooked, but the guy ate like every bit of it. So I'd say I did pretty good. I mean, I just kinda erred on the side of like rotating maybe more often than I necessarily had to. Cause as long as I'm rotating it, I'm keeping a close eye on it. And so none of it's gonna get away from me. You know, if you leave it in there, the back half you can't really see it. You can't really see what's going on with the crust until you rotate it. So if you left it in there too long, you could burn it. But yeah, so I just kind of I did a lot of rotations. And I'm only cooking one pizza at a time too. So I think when Brent is set up, he's probably cooking You know, he might be cooking three or four pizzas at the same time, which could be a little bit more of a hard time managing when you've got this one pizza that's at a certain point and it's cooking versus the other. And in the oven, my oven, it takes me about two minutes to cook a pizza, somewhere between uh, 90 seconds and two minutes.
1: Well, I cannot even eat pizza still. And anyone who listened to last week's episode, I got my wisdom teeth out exactly one week and one day ago. So this past Monday. And it's been a it's been a decent recovery. The food thing is honestly the worst thing. The pain is manageable. I was taking like ibuprofen 800s, but I can't eat anything that's like hard, even remotely hard. I can't eat chips, can't have pizza, can't have any kind of meat. It's like I have to eat like squished chickpeas and, you know, mashed everything. <laughs> it's not the funnest. I'm sure I'll kind of get my get my chewing ability back over the next couple of weeks, but that has been fun. Went bowling this past weekend. Did well again. I don't know what's going on with me, but I've become an expert bowler, I guess, over the past couple of weeks, even though I haven't been going too, too often. On the real estate front, though, this is something that anyone who's investing in real estate and kind of has an interesting living situation might want to take into account. So this new lender that I'm working with, these awesome guys, his name Gaetano. And so they're going through all my financials and they're like, okay, we're going to figure out your debt to income ratio, make sure you're okay. I think I mentioned this before, but I'm closing on another rental property uh, now on May 14th. We had to push back the closing date a week. But if you have a primary residence, so let's say I live I live in the house I live in now, but I still have my mom's address on my license because I got everything delivered to her because for three months, four months out of the year, I live in my lake house. So I want all the mail to go to her so I don't miss stuff that's super important because I'm kind of slightly nomadic moving around. I guess Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have this rule that if the address on your license doesn't match the address that you're living in and say like you're house hacking and you use your parents' address or whatever address, you might have not updated your license for whatever reason. You cannot count any rental income you have on any number of properties. I could have 20 rental properties and none of my rental income would count if my license address does not match the address that I'm actually living in. So I had no idea this was a thing. And they come back to me and they're like, hey, your debt to income ratio is too high. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like I have plenty of room in my debt to income ratio to buy this rental property. And they're like, well, we can't count any of your rental income, which I mean, people have been listening to this podcast. Me and my girlfriend acquired seven doors this past year. And that rental income, that gross rental income, this is obviously before mortgages, any expenses is $84,000 a year. Like that's a huge chunk of change. And they counted zero of it. So I'm like, holy crap, this sucks. What am I going to do? Ended up having my girlfriend become the co-borrower on the loan. Now we're in the clear. But man, it was it was not fun. It was a lesson I learned. I had no idea that that rules in place. It's basically like you can't ha- you have to be paying either rent or paying a mortgage or paying for the house you live in via property taxes or whatever. And it has to match your license. So that was a wake up call. I'll know that for the next one. But anyone out there who's kind of nomadic and you might be still using your parents or some other address that you don't actually live at as your main mailing address, just be wary because the real estate companies, the real estate lenders do not like that.
0: One of those lessons you just can't learn till you get in there and do it. I mean, you, they're never going to cover every single little gotcha in a book or a podcast. So. Just yeah. get there and do it.
1: We've had so many guests on and I don't think, I mean, when would that ever come up? Like, unless yeah. you're in a weird scenario like I am. Maybe like someone like Eric Nomad on Fire, I don't know where he gets his mail sent to. But if he applied to buy a house or anyone else who's kind of traveling around a lot, maybe the same situation would happen to them. Even if they had, like I said, they could have 20 rental properties that make like 500k a year and it counts as zero in the eyes of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. It's crazy.
0: You wouldn't even want to get started with the uh, addresses I've had on licenses. It's like with moving around the military and different states of residents and everything else. I mean, th- there's uh, actually a, a random church address is on my uh, license right now for the state of Colorado. Uh, so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I know even when we were setting up our newest bank account, you didn't have any like Proof that you were living in the (laughs) location you're living in.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, like, who gets mail anymore, you know? Like, what do you need mail for? I don't, like, I mean, yeah, what am I going to show my Amazon receipts? You know, like, I don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we talked about numbers a little bit. You were sharing profit margins. I was sharing some of my rental income. And one of the themes that we were going to talk about today, we had Anthony on three weeks ago. We had Jay Money on two weeks ago. Eric on last week. Is kind of transparency slash authenticity. Like, why... Is that important or is that important? How does that help you kind of build trust, build an audience? And I know Justin, you are super granular sharing your income, sharing your expenses down to the penny on <laughs> all your spending reports. Could you talk about maybe why you chose to go that route and has it helped you, has it hurt you? We'll be right back after a quick moment for our sponsor. Over the past year, small businesses have shown an incredible ability to adapt, innovate, and survive. And one of the best ways to do this to make your business recession-proof is to hire the right people. LinkedIn Jobs does that for free. I just recently hired someone for my Etsy business and for Pinterest as well, and having a platform like LinkedIn Jobs where you can see people's experience, you can see if they're a good match, LinkedIn Jobs will actually show you the best matches for you. just makes it so much easier for the hire. Plus, no matter what your job listing is, you can get it out to 740 million professionals with targeted screening questions to make sure you have the right candidates in mind. Then with the simple filtering tool, you can easily review, rate, and hone in your top candidates. LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person for your role. And your first job post is completely free. Just visit linkedin.com slash fyshow. Again, that's linkedin.com slash fyshow to post your first job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, well, first of all, as far as like, has it helped me or has it hurt me growing an audience, things like that, I'll be the first one to say I've never been just like the most professional blogger. Like I don't I don't blog on like a regular schedule. I don't know a thing in the world about SEO. Like I'm just not that great of a, of a blogger as far as making it, you know, like a money-making thing or driving a ton of traffic. But the reason why I did it is because when I started out back on my journey, back in like 2015, I saw a lot of people who had already reached financial independence and they were talking about, this is what I did. These were my numbers, whatever, but just felt kind of like hindsight's 2020. Like, how did you know it was going to work? Like it's obvious, it's easy to say that it worked after it already did. And so, I was like, I'm just going to be super transparent and see where this thing goes. Like, if it fails, you're going to watch it fail. If it works, you're going to watch it work. And when it started, you know, I had $34,000. And so nobody in the world thought anything about me, like posting my net worth or, you know, anything like that. I will say, like, now at the point where I'm at, I always have this fear that people are going to see it and think that it's boastful or like I'm trying to throw it in their face. But I've been doing this since I had $34,000. Like, no one in the world was like, okay, cool, you got $34,000, who cares, you know? But I've been doing it the whole time. And so I just, I wanted it for me as much as anyone else to be able to look and say, this is exactly what it took. This is exactly how it worked. This is exactly what the investments returned. Like, I just love the data. And I'm hoping that other people can see it and it can give them a little hope, maybe you know, they can find the point in their journey that matches a certain point with mine and then go from there and follow along with it. And I mean, everybody's journey is different, but I just hope that it would inspire more people to say like, okay, here's somebody who's on the journey, not just somebody who happened to have already succeeded with it. So that's the reason I do it. I just didn't want it to feel like something unattainable or something that somebody's just kind of making up. Like I wanted it to be very clear that this is actually happening and you're getting to watch it kind of live.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important. And I'm not as granular as you, honestly, because I'm lazy and don't want to track every penny in my spending. I've kind of got, I forget who was talking about it, but I kind of got the mindset now. Like I did budgeting for a little bit at the start, but once you kind of understand what you should spend money on, what you shouldn't spend money on, it's almost automatic. Like you don't have to track it unless you're a spreadsheet nerd, like a lot of us and and you want to do it and post it, which is super cool. But it's just like, there's so much non or un or D authenticity. I don't know the right word out there, it's like, you go on Instagram, it's like make $25,000 from drop shipping, or, you know, I, this is my seven layer strategy for marketing where you can make a million dollars this year. And there's no proof behind that. Like no one's showing their sales numbers. No one actually has the proof behind the pudding. But when you actually show numbers like you did, or like Jay Money did, I think he started at like $40,000 or something and tracked all the way to up over a million. When you can follow someone's journey and see that that's possible. I think that just, that builds a connection because people are like, okay, this is a real dude. He's at this job, he's making this much money. This is what he's spending on groceries. This is what he's spending on housing, apartment. Like, hey, maybe I can do that. So yeah, I think that's super important in terms of letting people understand that financial independence is important because I still have friends. And I think that's a reason why I try to share as much as I can. I still have friends that are like, that's impossible. Now you can't retire before 30 or... You know, you'll never have enough money to live on for the rest of your life. And it's like, no, like, here are the numbers right here. This is what I make. This is what I spend. And this is how I can either use the 4% rule or real estate or small business. This is how I'm going to support my lifestyle or support the cost of living for the rest of my life. And, you know, some people still don't get it after all that, but that's the most you can do. Just lead by example, show them as much concrete evidence as you possibly can, show them exactly how you're doing it. And hopefully people follow suit.
0: Yeah. And it was also, as far as like authenticity, it was important to me a, a few months ago, I put out an article that was called "Privilege and Perseverance," and it was kind of me going through my life and saying, "Okay, now that I'm looking back on it, like here's the, you know, advantages I had, but here's all the things I overcome." Because I think the other thing that happens once you get to the where I'm at in my life, because my income has increased by so much, um, and my net worth is where it is, and I'm obviously a, you know, I'm a, I'm a white, like Christian, straight or heterosexual male. Like I am what people look at and say like, oh, well, you're just like one of these like FI guys who was an engineer that makes a tons of money and you've had, you've had to overcome nothing. And so, you know, I like to go back and just tell my whole story so that people don't think that that you just look at me and say, well, I can't compare myself to him. He's in this really weird boat where he's got everything lined up for him because that is not the case. Like, you know, I grew up very low income in a random town, small town in Mississippi, like no one in my town got out and did things like this. So there's definitely plenty of places where, you know, I still had to overcome things. And there's probably true for a lot of people out there, you know, it's probably easy to look at them and say, oh my goodness, they're so successful. Like they're just this whole other ball game." Like, you know, I'll never be able to get to where they are because I've got to overcome this. And again, we all have a different path and we all have different things we have to overcome. But there's probably a lot of, you know, background out there of these successful people that you're not aware of. Like, you don't know the things they went through to get where they are. So, hopefully, more people tell those stories of like the things they went through. It's like, okay, maybe not everybody just had a lucky break. Maybe there's a lot of hard work behind it.
1: Yeah. It's kind of the same thing, not as much on the saving and investing front, but a lot of my friends will ask me because I do have the entrepreneurial bug. I love starting businesses. They'd be like, Dude, how do you have like businesses that are successful? It's like, well, if you kind of scroll back in Cody's life, like I had so many failed businesses. I learned so many hard lessons. But if you don't share those, I try to share those every time I'm on someone else's podcast. People are asking about the things I'm doing. Like if you don't share those stories and it just seems so much less real. And like I just said, there's so much BS on every single social media platform. You see all these so-called gurus who are just crushing it. And you have no idea if they're actually crushing it. Maybe they're leasing that Lamborghini. Maybe they're in their (laughs) friend's apartment taking that Instagram video. Like whatever the thing might be, I really think just having the authenticity back up whatever you're doing, whether it's saving, investing, starting a small business, investing in real estate, like whatever it is, you really, really have to kind of walk the walk and talk the talk.
0: The last thing I'll say on this, just because I I just thought about it, it was hilarious, was one time I was in a, a Reddit, you know, a subreddit, and I was posting, you know, like my numbers and stuff. And I just started having people just calling me out and saying I was lying about everything. They're like, "How do you spend like a dollar seventeen at Subway?" And I'm like, "I bought some cookies. Like, what are you like?
1: <laughs> why I, like, what is it, like why, why would
0: I lie about that?" It was just kind of weird. So it, even no matter how like honest you're trying to be and straightforward and helpful, like there's there's going to be some internet police folks out there who just scream and cry and yell about everything. So if you have some people who hear your story and take it the wrong way. Like, I mean, it is what it is. People are going to say you're throwing it in your face if you show that you have too much money. And then if you don't have enough money, there's people going to yell at you and say, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't even have any money. Like, so you can't win. So just be you, tell your story and do what you're comfortable with.
1: Yeah. People love playing the victim. I can't do that because (laughs) blank instead of figuring out how they actually can do it. Another theme I did want to talk about, and this is, this was a rampant theme across all three episodes with Eric from Nomad on Fire, Jay Money, and from Anthony O'Neill, work life balance. Like these guys all figured out how they can actually be happy. Like they love what they're doing. They enjoy the work they're doing. They're still hanging out with family, doing the things they enjoy, having time to do hobbies, all that stuff. Justin, I'd like to hear, and obviously I'll share mine after. What are some of the stuff you do? I mean, you're always doing stuff. Like every single day, you're like, "Oh, hold on, I can't record it now. I'm kayaking on the river." Or like, <laughs> "Hold on, I'm I'm at this event." Like, you seem to have an awesome work-life balance. I'd love to hear kind of how you got to that point and if it was always that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a couple things is a like as always is knowing yourself. So like, some people when they're thinking about balance, like they need a lot of like downtime, like completely downtime, even if it's personal, like still their personal time being downtime. Me like I tend to try to shove as much things into my schedule as humanly possible. Now I try to make sure that a lot of those are for me and not just for work. But you know, it's just setting those boundaries because whether there's there's always work to be done. There will always be work to be done. But, you know, does it have to be done tonight? Setting those boundaries and saying, you know what? No, like I'm not gonna take this six thirty call. It can it can wait till ten a.m. tomorrow or whatever it is. So I think just I think setting those boundaries planning. If, if you wait for, at least for me, like if I wait till the, the last second to try to do something for myself, like maybe it doesn't work out, but if I plan it, you know, two or three weeks in advance and I know like, Hey, I'm guarding this time to do something that I want to do, then it will remain protected. And then I think the other thing is, you know, I think I've talked about it before, but we had the guy who wrote this book called essentialism come in and it's just thinking about what are the things that actually move the needle? Like what are the things that actually matter? And what are the things that you're doing just because you feel like people expect you to do it and they're like watching you and you're, it's like that kind of busy work. So understanding what actually matters and then setting those boundaries. And when you do that, I would say most people, if you're in like a more of a corporate type job, like you actually don't need to be working more than 40 hours. I mean, if you're in like a manufacturing type job where it's very steady, and you have to do this, and they tell you to work 50 hours. That's obviously different. But when it's like you're managing your own schedule and you're trying to get projects through, you know, I think a lot of people they have this 90% solution and then they spend twice as long trying to get it to 100%. And that 10% difference didn't actually make a difference. So I think calling good, you know, good enough, good enough, and, and walking away from something when it's ready. And again, just setting those boundaries, knowing yourself, garden time you know, even if it means putting blocks on your calendar, like if you're always find yourself working through lunch, because somebody always pops a meeting on your calendar at lunch, well, just you put a block on your calendar at lunch, that way no one can take it, you know, so those are some of the things I do. How about you, Cody?
1: I'm kind of curious before I share mine, because mine is a little bit different, or kind of completely different, because I'm an entrepreneur, so I don't have like set hours. Um, Do you ever like work late? Or is it just a strict, I'm done at 530 and like Whatever is not done, I'll do tomorrow morning.
0: Um, There's some days where like maybe I've got a lot of stuff that I want to do for myself during the day just because that's how it works out. Like maybe I need to go to another business that is only open during business hours. And so, therefore, I'm not doing my job during the day. Then it doesn't bother me to just, you know, hop on my computer at like 7 o'clock and knock something out. Also, if it's going to make me feel a lot better the next day, like it's going to remove some kind of anxiety, like I'm going to feel more prepared for like a really important meeting with an external customer, then maybe I will. Like, I don't have a an absolute rule, but uh, I certainly don't let it become a habit. So it, it's just one of those things I do. If I've kind of robbed several hours from my employer during the day, then I don't care to give them back a little at night. That's completely fair.
1: So I kind of operate a little bit differently. So I'm no foreigner to, I go to the gym every morning. So we'll go to the gym, usually get back at like 8.30. I'll pop my laptop around 8.45, And some days, I mean, I'll literally work all day and won't stop till 9 or 10 p.m. Now, obviously that's not every day, but like there's just like you said, there's literally always work to do. Like you can always do something else, especially in entrepreneurship. There's always something you can do to get more customers or figure out your funnel or adjust things on your website, like whatever the thing might be, there's literally always work to be done. But then I balance that out with if one of my buddies is like, hey, want to insert activity today at three? I can, you know, just kind of take off and do that thing. So I try to be a yes man, I guess is the best term for it, as much as I possibly can. Like if my friends are going on vacation, I'm in. If they're going to do something fun, I'm in. As long as I can kind of get my work done in those other pockets of time. So I've definitely had 12 plus hour days of work, but I've also had days, especially at the lake house, where I'll work from like, you know, 9 a.m. to noon and then kind of just take the rest of the day off. So that's how I kind of. Keep work life balance. And also, I did mention this just briefly now, but physical activity is a huge thing for me. Like, I go to the gym every morning with Lauren. We usually have a second workout later after she's done with work. And we always, pretty much, if the weather is permitting, go for a midday walk just so we get outside, get some vitamin D on our body. So I'm not just like literally sitting staring at my screen all day long, which far too many people do. And like you said, Justin, I mean, at my job, I know people who just work through every single lunch back when I was working at the bank. And it's like, go outside, like take a walk, something, you're just gonna, (laughs) you're gonna rot, your knees are gonna turn to circles or whatever happens to your bones when you sit for 40 years. It's just a bit crazy. But yeah, I mean, those are two totally different approaches. But I think we're kind of on on the same wavelength where you've got to sprinkle in that fun stuff. Like you can't be work all the time. You got to get the stuff done that you need to get done, but do it as efficiently, as quickly as possible. And then you know, make you time.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that comes out from both of us, like because we both said it is the that there's always work to be done. Is, the older I've gotten, the more I've realized that that there is no such thing as like getting caught up and it, all of a sudden now things will change. You're going to be busy. You're going to always have work to do. Okay, now what do you do with that? Like how do you how do you guard off some of that time?
1: Alrighty, well that's pretty much all I had on my notes for today, Justin. I feel like even though this is a shorter episode, we covered a lot of awesome information, and we were planning on doing a longer type episode last week, but it was painful for me to even record a three-minute intro with Justin because my wisdom teeth had literally just came out. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, if you want to check out some of the links we mentioned, if you want to read a quick summary, you can do all that at the slash you. That's the slash y-o-u. And as always, if you want to check out our
0: Facebook group page, you can do so at the slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefishow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.